This is the ERP Advisor. How financial automation and ERP can transform your business. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for our webinar today, How Financial Automation in in ERP Can Transform Your Business. Sean Wendell is one of our speakers for today. Sean is the founder and managing principal of ERP Advisors Group based in Denver, Colorado. Sean has over 25 years of experience in the enterprise software industry, helping hundreds of clients across many industries with selecting and implementing a wide variety of enterprise solutions. His podcast, The ERP Advisor, has dozens of episodes with thousands of downloads and is featured on prominent podcast platforms such as Apple and Spotify. We are also joined today by enterprise technology expert, Derek Hitchman of SCS Cloud. Derek has delivered projects in over 25 countries, and his extensive experience in financial risk management, custom software development, and rapid system configuration has led to continued expansion for SCS Cloud across an increasingly wide variety of commercial and industrial enterprises. On today's call, Sean and Derek will cut through the confusion to assist businesses, business decision makers in deciphering what automation and artificial intelligence really mean for their businesses and ERP and what impact they really play in creating business value. Derek and Sean, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, Derek, we're happy to have you join as our guest. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you inviting me on. Yeah, thank you. Well, diving right in, um, automation and AR are significant buzzwords flooding the technology space today and are quite the hot topic amongst businesses and their teams. With that, Derek, I'm going to start with you. Um, what is financial process automation and one, what impact does it have on businesses? Yeah, it's a great question. So financial process automation, I mean, I think the name in and of itself sort of speaks to it a little bit. You know, you're trying to take your financial processes and you're trying to get them as automated as possible. And, you know, there's a so many systems out there that store this information that have been used for so long that automating all of the tasks and activities within those environments and kind of bringing that structure and allowing that automation to just carry things through can really make things not only faster and more efficient, but also a little bit more secure and more less prone to error than they might've been before. So obviously a very hot topic as the whole world continues to automate, automate, automate more and more things, that financial process automation can allow businesses to scale up easier and can allow their processes to really work smoother than having just manual people working with them all the time. And you have a combination of the two potentially i mean i'm sure there's never going to be that that lack of human element that's necessary to to make things happen uh inside of your financial environments and it's kind of an interesting history with this because i feel like erp systems financial systems data that stores all of this they're very structured in their environment right so that they're, they're built on structured processes and standardized processes that are based on international standards so mm -hmm. those tend to flow through whether that's a procurement process a procure to pay sort of a process or a sales process where you're having orders fulfillments invoices things like that those are relatively structured processes so when you tend to apply automation to those structured environments in some ways, it's easier because the, the processes are known and you can apply the same types of automation to multiple types of businesses. So from that instance, that's that's always there. But 
at the end of the day, every company and every organization is different. So you're never going to be able to fully automate something start to finish. It's always going to require that human intelligence level and that human decision-making capability to be able to know if something is right or something's wrong. Right. Well, Sean, um, with that, I mean, this is practically the same question, I guess. Is it is it okay to automate everything or no, right? Like, like just continuing with what Derek mentioned. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of a, uh, I don't think it's like a bad thing to talk about these days. It's such interesting conversations we're having as a society right now mm-hmm. about certain topics. And this automation thing is, um, it, it is really interesting, right? Like, is it taboo to talk about, yeah, we're going to automate everything and fire all our employees, right? Good luck saying something like that. I hope nobody quotes me on that and gets worried. That's not at all what I'm saying. And it's not possible to Derek's point. There's always some piece of, of, of work that an individual has to do. And, and it's, I was even thinking about this the other day in preparation for this call. And I usually don't prepare for these calls, but this one I actually did because there is a lot going on around this topic. Now I only did it five minutes ago, but no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But, um, but, but seriously, I was thinking about manufacturing and, um, the other day, I, uh, I I got this crazy idea. I had uh, I had one of these little battery, uh, little phone charger things from Costco. And um, I, Grant and I were traveling somewhere, and I, I literally put a drink in my bag because my hands were full and it was upright. And I'm like, okay, we got to run to the airport or whatever. And then sure enough, donk, the drink fell over the water, goes into the bag. And I'm like, oh, God, this thing's going to blow up, you know? And sure enough, water had gotten into this battery uh, or phone recharger thing. And and broke. So I'm like, I'm going to open it up. I haven't opened up an electronics thing in like, I don't know, 40 years. Mm -hmm. Literally, I used to do that as a kid where you take it and break it open and see what's inside. So I'm like, oh, I'll check this out, right? Well, guess what? There's lithium-ion batteries in those things. And you're not supposed to open it, right? But I was looking at this device and I'm like, man, there is so much manual work put into building this little charger thing, Mm -hmm. right? And it might be hands in China that are doing it. I don't know, but somebody had to manually do that. So even if you think at the simplest examples of manufacturing, there are still people that are doing things wherever they're at in the world. And and whether it's like, you know, ERP processes, like you said, Derek, procure to pay is a great example. You know, almost all the purchasing departments that we work for are like, automate, automate, automate. I don't want to do this stuff anymore. There's so many exceptions that we have to handle, or there's so many policies that we have to create, or I would rather be spending my time building strategic relationships with vendors, even if it's, uh, you know, a knowledge worker business where they don't really buy a bunch of raw materials, they can go work with the airlines, they can work with travel agencies, they can work with their other uh, service providers to come up with really good deals. Those are the things that people really want to spend their time on. And so when I think about financial automation, I think that's what all of our goals are. We've done a ton of projects with you and your team, Derek. And when we're out there working on clients, after we get the basics done, <laughs> you know, like being able to create a financial statement mm-hmm. um, without Excel, although everybody <laughs> still uses Excel, Excel, but even the automation of a financial statement, I want to push a button and there's my income statement. Great. You know, that takes all those transactions being in there, the chart of accounts, the roll up, the account types, blah, blah, blah. Dimensions have to all be set up in advance for then the automation to happen. And that's something I really want to get into on this call is 
the automation is a thousand percent dependent on what's done in advance. There's 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 logic, there's there's code that's written. Derek can talk about this more than I can. And that's what determines the automation later is what's done in advance. So here is a great example of this. Vendor bills being input into a AP system. There's optical character recognition, OCR software, right? Topolti is one of them. I know there's Mineral Tree. We've, we've used a ton of these different apps, right? And what they do is they scan in a vendor bill and voila, it shows up in your AP ready to pay, right? Uh-uh. Somehow that app has to know based on a piece of paper, it might be even a PDF, what's the vendor name? What did we buy? What's the amount? What's the due date, et cetera, et cetera. So, but you can train these apps to learn this over time. And especially if you're getting uh, redundant or, or recurring uh, bills from different vendors month over month over month, right? The system can kind of learn that. And Derek, you mm -hmm. probably know more about this than I do. But you have to take the time to get it set up in advance. You have to go through this setting up in advance. So it's not like, you know, we have a brand new problem and, um, you know, boom, we're going to automate that the next day. And we'll get into that with like the generative AI and kind of how that kind of stuff works on a far extreme. But but the interesting thing, I think, to me is that, you know, with it takes it takes somebody it takes real work, mm -hmm. like roll up your sleeves to figure out how are we going to automate this stuff later? And, and inevitably, even in the, the OCR example, I don't know, maybe you get Derek 50, 75% of the vendor bills, the other 25% gets kicked out with somebody for discretionary or uh, to, to deal with um, as issues yeah. come up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's only going to take you so far. And as we progress through this next huge cycle of uh, automation and artificial intelligence and all of these these terms, I think just to kind of carry on your analogy, right? You said, when was the last time you opened up a piece of electronics? You haven't done it in a while. But if you think, you know, it was only not that long ago when you used to open up the car engine and, you know, poke around in there. And, and these days, you know, if you do that, you avoid the warranty. So I think that's going to start to happen in the technology world too. You know, we have a lot of people still working these days, poking around in the technology, adjusting things, adjusting code, all of that type of thing. And that kind of concept of, well, it's a prepackaged solution and it actually does do everything that you would expect it to do in a fully automated way that's going to start to become more and more of the norm. And you, you can't just open up the hood and go poking around. You, you, you kind of get what you get and, it, and it's going to work. Wow, that's a great point. Yeah. Is that kind of along the lines of no customizations? There, right? Yeah. yeah, good good question, right? Yeah, so, you know, coming from a firm that does, uh, you know, hundreds of hours a week of, of customizations on, on products, you know, I think... I think that's there. It's it's going to be interesting because, you know, we're working a lot of times in the software world with these platforms <laughs> that take you about, some of them take you 80, 90% of the way, like Sean was mentioning, these AP mm -hmm. automation solutions, and then you just make little tweaks. But like, truthfully, the, the core ERP systems and financial systems, they're only really meant to take you 50, 60% of the way, and you then build the mm -hmm. last 40% to tailor it to your business. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And I think the verdict is still out. Either they're going to get more and more complete with a with a bow put on them that you just use that solution or it's going to just get easier to get that additional 40 50% of the way so it'll still be the underlying platform but instead of having to manually code and spend hours and hours and and that type of thing 
you might be in a position where it's much easier to build those solutions. The automation can come a lot easier. You can almost ask it in a in a write to it and say, hey, I want to achieve this and it will go build it or code it for you instead of having to assign a developer for a month or two to get the job done. You know, Juliet, if I may, mm-hmm. on that Please. topic right there, again, in the, the actual research that I did do, and I really went in and, and really understood what chat GPT was, right? I could totally see, Derek, what you're talking about. And actually, come to think of it, when I was at J.D. Edwards in the early, God, was it that long ago? Early 2000s. Wait, Mm. we had this thing, um, solution accelerators. I mean, everybody's got something, right? Where, oh, you just just point and click, and then boom, the config and the app happens. (laughs) But couldn't you see, Derek, you know, uh, a, uh, a sweet GPT? Might as well call it sweet. Somebody should uh, get on that term before uh, somebody <laughs> else does, if you know what I mean. Um, but uh, but something that does say, so, you know, how do you, do you want this or that? Or how do you want your process set up? Natural language, natural language, natural language, enter. And then it generates that. That I mean, you guys are already experimenting with some of that stuff, aren't you? It's, it's already starting. Yeah, it's already mm-hmm. starting to where, um, you know, we've had multiple instances where that's the case. I mean, NetSuite and the the suite kind of concept with that is definitely one path. Salesforce is about to release their Einstein GPT, which is really helpful. And I think that's exactly right. Kind of core configuration of solutions will be a mix of automation where you could say, hey, we look at this other system and build out all the fields or look at this Excel doc where we have all of our data and then just go automatically create all the fields, group them all together, import the data, clean it up while you're doing it. And all of that will be, it's our, the technology is already there with the latest AI tools to be able to do all that. It's just a matter of putting the links together to where the systems are, are receptive and can be configured automatically by those tools. So it's, it's very exciting from that perspective to be able to say that you want a, a certain type of code or a certain type of workflow, and then it will go and build it. And amazingly enough, these tools like just take chat GPT. And take a product like like NetSuite, which is a, which is a closed product, right? It's an Oracle owned product. It's not sort of an open source system. You can ask ChatGPT to write NetSuite code for you that that will run inside of NetSuite, and based on its data points and what's out there online, it will actually write JavaScript code that is at least the pretty much the framework for NetSuite. And you just need to make a few tweaks and install it. And that's a solution that was not crafted. It's just a very generalized solution. It's not crafted for NetSuite. So hmm. it's pretty amazing. And, and my team is using tools like that to help debug uh, stuff, putting in code, asking it what's wrong with the code. It will tell you what's wrong with it. And so that kind of extra layer of being able to do that, once those products are embedded into the solutions themselves, and once they become part of the financial or accounting platforms, that will kind of next level up the the ability to to make very very rapid progress on changes that you desire. Wow. I mean it's a little scary and a little exciting at the same time, right? <laughs> it is. Oh it is. Yeah. I mean certainly it gives a lot of power, right? And that's that's the question is where where does it stop? Because that's the big question with this stuff is it's like at a certain point it, it makes sense to use it as a tool to accelerate your own productivity, right? So if you if you want to say write an email to a customer, or you want to say 
financial process automation, let's say you want to follow up with a with a vendor with information about when you're going to pay them, or you want to chase up a customer for following up invoices, having these tools be able to write content for you and send it that's specific to the customer, that's tailored, that's based on the last things that were sent, et cetera, um, has amazing potential. But at what point do you let the automation and the tool start making decisions for you about you know, cutting that customer off from future orders or or enforcing credit limits or things like that, that might still be a little bit down the road. And obviously there's a lot of risk in in uh, in doing that um, in, in those types of tools as well. Yeah. But if you think about a dunning process, Juliet, which is basically the policies that a company has for how to try to get a deadbeat customer to pay, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're they're 30 days late. We'll send them an email. Ooh, 60 days. Someone needs to call them. 90 days, the salesperson's got to call them or whatever, whatever that process is, right? You know, we've automated that with you guys before, Derek, automated it. You know, like if it's later than 30 days, then send this email and you, the system can generate an email and just send it, right? And then that email goes into customer's record and it's tracked and et cetera. But, you know, I think these doomsdayers out there, just just like you said, Derek, there are people that say, okay, well, the system's just going to learn because it continuously learns. And that I, I think that's what I'm realizing is sort of this new pitch on AI that I don't think I really understood before was the machine learning ML. We've been talking about that for a while, too. But no, for real, these algorithms, these bots you know, can take more information, including the data that they generate and say, oh yeah, this customer, you know, this type of customer doesn't pay or whatever kind of predictive analytics it can make and then decide, okay, we're just going to cut them off and nobody knows about it. Like Derek, we had a joint customer. It was a data center. They really wanted lights out on their financial automation processes from beginning to end, right? They didn't want anybody to touch anything. They wanted a customer to be Set it and forget it. I'll never forget that phrase, right? Get the contract in place. We're billing. They're getting their service. If the service terminates, that we find out about that in invoicing, we send them the last bill. Nobody touches it. It was a beautiful concept. I'm not sure it quite worked out that way. But, um, you know, the fear that people feel about this automation is that the system decides, oh, customers in this part of the country, we're going to cut off or whatever weird thing that the, the system, you know, like the matrix just decides we're going to eradicate these customers. Gosh, knows we're going to whatever they're going to do. That's that's a little little too much, you know, Um, it it always is going to come back to the developers, to the people that are giving the logic and the, the, um, the, the minds behind the AI. There are always minds. There's people that are building these algorithms around their own concepts of how things should be. So, you know, a firm like yours, Derek, you're constantly meeting with business users and, and deciding how to configure configure price quote, how to build a configure price quote app, or how to set up, again, financial statements or whatever. You know, those people then make decisions that can get built into these process automation or even AI models that could benefit the organization for a long time. So, you know, it's it's not it's not as if it's the end of the world with these things and every you know person's going to be having to be the service servant of the robot right um but i do think to an example you were talking about because juliet's son is in high school and so she's dealing with all the modern day high school stuff mm-hmm. of 
not her son, but other kids. Never. I got kids in college, <laughs> I know, right? Um, that are, you know, able to go to uh, other countries, their services, they can write their papers, right? Oh, well, AI can write the paper or whatever. I've heard my kids have talked about other stories and things like that. There's always the crazy things that get our attention. But but I think, you know, Derek, you and your team, you're living this in the trenches with like probably 10, 15, 20 customers literally today. And they're all saying the same things, right? Hey, we're just trying to do more business with less, less people. We want to be more efficient. That's what we're looking to solve. Like the fundamentals are still the same, Derek. Do you, you agree with that? Uh, the fundamentals are, are still the same, very much so. And and there's definitely a desire to use less people and and create more automation but at the same time that that's a balance between between that you know that there's a lot of areas particularly around the machine learning has been around for a while and this is a gradually increasing area where there's more and more automation you know it used to be people pushing papers and then it was the, the computers are are going to automate all of that and now they sort of have but not fully and so this next level of machine learning is just going to increase that velocity of computers being able to take repetitive activities and repetitive tasks. So that's going to be a really important point is that for individuals who are just kind of having a job that that really truthfully is low, low intelligence for the performance of the job, then those jobs are going to be the first to go. So I think because if if a person can do it, then a a computer can do it, especially if it's all electronic related Mm -hmm. activities and it's not things in the real world. So that may come later, but for now, it's going to be those things that they go first. And and there is definitely a lot of concern about it, right? I mean, we've def we're working on a few projects right now where we the the name of the project should not include the word automation. We were told by the customer, you know, it can include enhancements or something like that, but Mm. leave automation out of it because people are starting to to freak out about it a little bit. And, and, and they rightly should be, especially in these systems. And I think there's opportunities now to make sure that individuals can kind of find their, their spot and do the, the important tasks within business. And, and that's, that's really important because every company you, you kind of have your products that you sell and you have your cost of, of goods sold and you got your that revenue minus the cost of goods sold mm-hmm. and and everything that's left is is just taking money away from your bottom line. And mm-hmm. so that's where I think AI could be a huge benefit to to many businesses, to to CFOs who are trying to improve the bottom line, to smaller companies that are trying to kind of get more profitable, is that there, they can it can remove a lot of overhead related costs or a lot of redundant costs that's not necessarily there as you as you grow. So that's a big factor, I think, in in what's to come is that that it might actually make businesses a lot more efficient, but also where it counts, right? Where the, those areas that are making them less profitable. You still have to like be very aware of what your needs are and what your endpoint is to be able to determine whether or not you could potentially get rid of that person and have something automated, right? Exactly. Yeah. Very much so. And 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 at the end of the day, when when there's decisions to be made, I think that that the computer making the decisions for you is still a ways off because imagine you have a a, a, com- a system that runs your company that has all the data to your company and you're basically giving admin access to something that can make decisions and perform actions in that environment. That's uh that's that's pretty insecure, you know. That's right? not that's not where you want to be headed anytime quickly unless you really trust that that person or or that automation that's doing that. 
Right. And that's where I think people should and could be very worried about their jobs, right? If an automated system is doing HR type tasks, right? And it's a good thought. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you, if you, if you look at kind of looking into the past to see what will happen in the future, ATMs, they changed banking forever. Right. Um, and and that I, I, I do think that um, like if I was on this call and I was listening to this, maybe later on the podcast on the treadmill or your Peloton, which I think mm-hmm. there was a recall on some of those today. So just beware. Oh, no. Don't let your seat break or something. I don't know what that is. But um, but but uh, but the, the, and it was a certain kind of model. I shouldn't make anybody afraid on that. But beware. Um, <laughs> but but the, the reality is that. Um, you know, we saw this with Uber completely and totally changing, you know, taxi industry, transportation industry. And, and many of our clients say we want to be the Uber of steel distribution or, or of whatever their industry is. We want to automate and we want to drive, you know, radical changes through technology. And that's why we want to shift into ERP. Now, other clients say we've been on this same system for 30 years and the lady who wrote it like, wants to like go someplace on a vacation like retire even. So we just need a new system. We get, you know, a whole spectrum of issues that people come to us on new ERPs. But when you hear that automation um, driver, um, I think people expect the ERP to do a lot of these things that we're now talking about are capable with AI. Mm -hmm. We we just did that call to we had earlier today on post go live sort of optimization and and sort of the secrets out of the bag that all the cool stuff you wanted in phase one, you probably ain't getting it. (laughs) Sorry. And we don't promise that stuff in phase one. We say, look, there's going to be additional work. Um, it's a good it's a good discussion. You should listen to it if you're interested in that. Kind of have to be a certain kind of person to be interested in those topics. But anyway, um, the key thing, though, is that um, it's. I think there's a lot more possible that we are literally on the verge of. And I think in preparation, again, for this call, Derek, you sent some stuff that Salesforce is doing. We looked at Oracle. We've looked at Workday. Mm-hmm. You know, we've worked at Microsoft um, with, with their pilot, the co-pilot, that, that these vendors, these enterprise software vendors, in my opinion, after watching a lot of years of this stuff, they are smart to use their own people to drive AI innovation and not rely on third parties. Because, it, you know, ERP is really just like this bottoms up app. I mean, Derek and I have talked this be, about this before mm-hmm. years ago. I was like, dude, do you like ERP? Really? <laughs> like, you should you know, want to do something a little more cool. I don't know. <laughs> Fine. I'm glad you decided that was good. But, um, but you know, you really have to take like this, like, look, uh, these companies, especially if they're public, got to get out their financial statements. And we have a financial statement, financial system, an accounting system. You can't screw with that stuff. It's got to work. Purchasing. If if a, if a, a vendor, a customer isn't paying their vendors, you know, if one of our clients is running an ERP, isn't paying their vendors, their vendors shut them off and there's no business, right? I mean, we're kind of dealing with like the lifeblood of organizations in ERP. And so I'm excited to see that, you know, the vendors, I have to look at Infor, hopefully somebody from Infor hears this and can send it to us, but um, I'm excited to see the bigger vendors taking responsibility for this on their own and not making the mistake 
that many vendors did about adopting cloud earlier. Mm -hmm. Because I can tell you, and again, 20, I don't know, 26 years now of doing enterprise software, I know a trend that's going to die and I know, mm-hmm. I know a evolutionary step that we need to make as a society in enterprise software. AI mm-hmm. is definitely the next biggest thing since cloud. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about this for a while. People understand it. Like you said, Juliet, you're talking to your son about this stuff. Like people are, it's there. And it's not just people like Derek that are way out ahead That's of right. all the rest of us technology, right? So, you know, it's, it's definitely, you need to look, we are going to really look to our vendors to, to drive that innovation. Um, they may end up doing third-party uh, purchases. Um, you know, OpenAI and Microsoft have a really tight relationship, as I understand it. Um, you know, so there might be other sources that they leverage for this, but I, I can uh, just see even like a new vendor like Nextworld, which is kind of new old too. They, the founders of J.D. Edwards put that together. You know, they're in a really interesting spot where their platform is 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 very malleable versus, you know, a solution that's been in place forever that's not, you know. So can the new vendors leverage some of this AI to sort of bring that next level of innovation together to maybe start to take some more market share from the incumbents? So, I mean, I'm super excited about it. I, people losing their jobs. I mean, we get every interview we're on, you know, we've got a team and I don't even know where they're at today. The flight just got delayed and they're they're working with a consumer goods company right now, one of our teams. And everybody we talk to, you know, that's in the back of their mind. They're like, am I going to lose my job if we get a new ERP? So that's not new. But what I think what I think is new is, um, you know, I've always I think a big reason I just kind of spotted this. A big reason why I've loved ERP is because I really think it helps people. Like for real, it helps people to focus on what is the 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 value add that that this organization, nonprofit, for profit, government, whatever, is trying to do for their constituents. ERP helps with that a lot. I think you can layer AI on that and process automation, um, and you can get to a whole new level. I mean, I was working on financial automation and um, uh, with uh, when I started with JD Edwards in two thousand around the thing called uh, Semantic Web. You can look that up. I'm really old. Um, that was uh, Tim Tim Berners Lee, who's who founded the World Wide Web, had discussed this concept of the web one day will have information about itself, and it can interact with itself because it will codify and have taxonomies and all the nomenclature of commerce would be baked into the web, so it could just you know do things for you. Today we would say recurring transactions, right? He was working on some of that. And we were looking at J.D. Edwards about how to build that into the app back then. So long story short, I'm kind of blabbering, um, but I really, I think it's exciting. I, I really, really do. And I am like, I hate the cliche stuff. Literally was on a call yesterday with a sales guy. And I was just like, dude, I need you to stop talking. I'm so sorry. We have got to really focus on how we're going to really do this. And I apologize. And I felt like such a jerk saying it, but I had to say it because I had my sponsor for like another five minutes and I needed the real person in the room who's going to do the implementation to talk. Right. So I stay away from the cliche stuff, but um, this is, I'm excited because I think as an industry, we can start to do the things that we've dreamed of doing before. Even when we coupled with Derek's team, I think about lots of our clients, even some of the more recent ones that went live at the end of the year last year, you know, those are great organizations. You know, maybe accounting teams weren't 
quite as sophisticated and ready. But, um, you know, they're really trying to do really cool things here. And with these these technology pieces, like really achievable, I'm excited for what they can uh, they can do in the future. Yeah, very much so. It's, it's really exciting to see what's coming. And I think one point you touched on there, Sean, which was really interesting, is that it's going to become more expected as certain industries mm-hmm. become more automated, that people in their phase one, they're going to expect automation on implementing That's a new right. system. And it, and whether it's layering these new technologies in over these old ERP systems, or whether it's a new uh, newcomer getting getting built, that's built from the ground up to support these types of transactions. It's going to be very exciting because if you look at financial systems, a lot of them are very old. You know, they're they're decades old. Even the new ones are decades old, and the old right. ones are are much longer than that. And so, they have an old architecture that's not necessarily built with any of this in mind. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see uh, once an ERP product gets market share. It's been very difficult for other players to come in and 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 knock it off at, or be be able to supersede it. And there's an opportunity here for a, a massive shift as, as companies try to reach for this. And I think also these types of automations in the world's current state, they've been limited to larger organizations. So you take tools like UiPath and some of these other larger process automation and robotic process automation tools, as they call them. And Larger organizations will spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to get those tools correctly implemented and to automate certain processes. And in many respects, I think that the the development of these more artificial intelligence type tools that can make more rapid decisions and kind of self-heal a little bit, because these bigger automations currently, they just try to do something. And if it fails, they just stop. They, they, They can't really self-correct or be able to understand how to write code or how to look at data or how to do that to kind of fix themselves. And so it might actually be interesting to see if in the smaller market space as well, like even in sort of like the smaller financial systems, that these are the ones that actually have the biggest benefit. Because if you take a look at smaller tools like QuickBooks and and stuff like that, their processes are 100% standard. You can't do any customization (laughs) in those tools. And applying artificial intelligence and machine learning to those tools to create more automation allows you to build it one time and have it then work for all of those customers. And that might put smaller businesses in a place where they don't have to have a big accounting firm. They may not even have to have much other than maybe an outsourced accountant to take a look at the Mm -hmm. books at the end of the month. Everything else is handled. And that could keep them going up until many dozens of employees potentially um, and make a huge difference to their to their business. I was uh, going to ask you that, Derek, because it seems like AI is is such an advanced technology that it seems to fit a bigger organization or a bigger business. But I mean, I was going to ask you if a mid-sized market or a smaller business could benefit from automation and AI. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that's very much the case because just, you know, having implemented software the last 10 years or so, you know, when you go into a small organization, you can kind of uh, pretty much cookie cutter your implementations, right? There's a best practice and you say you should follow the best practice. And if they don't, you can try to guide them towards doing that because you know, in the long run for their business, that's the right choice for them to make to follow standards. Because if they get different people, different team members, executives, different Mm -hmm. owners, eventually those new people are just going to say, well, just revert to the best practice in this area. Mm-hmm. So even if you build it different, they, it eventually winds up going towards that. So 
For smaller companies, it's best to align to that. Whereas with larger organizations, it is trickier. The larger organizations, have they're much more complex. And so you think you've got it figured out. And as a consultant, having worked on projects that go for multiple years, you learn stuff two years in that you mm-hmm. didn't know about that company or you didn't know right. about that process. And there's no way that some AI tool is going to know it. That if you if you can't figure it out, being working with that customer and all their team members, the AI tool is not going to just magically figure it out. Um, and so it's going to be more difficult to apply those tools to those more complex environments. And so I think there could be an interesting shift. The bigger organizations are going to be willing to invest more into applying automation and intelligence, but it will it might actually be easier for a smaller organization to have something if they could just turn it on and suddenly an entire mm-hmm. area was automated, that could make it very easy for them. Right. Um, well, Derek, let me ask you this. Um, you touched on this briefly, or I think actually Sean might have too, about predictive and analysis and predictive text. Um, so if a company does bring in automation and AI, like how do we know that the predictive analysis is actually correct and that it's factual and accurate? Can you speak to that? Yeah, it's it's a good point, right? Because if you look at something like chat GPT, you know, it has however many billions, trillions of data points that it's Mm -hmm. looking at. And so it's going to be looking at that. And the most amazing thing with it is you can go to it, ask it a question, it gives you an answer, and then you can click on regenerate response and it'll give you a slightly different answer. So Mm -hmm. it's not that it's supposed to give you the right answer. Mm -hmm. It's just going and gathering information and compiling that and presenting it back to you. So which answer is the right answer? It doesn't know, you know, and and I I don't think that AI is going to know that. But that predictive analysis, it's really about getting the right inputs that you that you have. So if you're inputting your data in, it might be able to predict something, but there's only going to be so much magic that it can provide. If you if it's still going to be the, the same old garbage in, garbage out type of concept, right? So if you if you don't have enough data in your system, if it's not well structured, if it can't figure it out, it's not going to give you good information. But the predictive analysis, I think companies will really see benefit when they have a lot of data. And Mm -hmm. instead of hunting and pecking around, right, because a a lot of teams that are in accounting, uh, controllers, CFOs, they they don't know necessarily what's making up the numbers or why those numbers Mm -hmm. are being made up that way. And a lot of time is spent trying to figure that out. And I think that's where the AI tool can really come into play because it can give you that predictive analysis based on your real data and tell you exactly what data it was that made that decision where a person, it might take them a week or a month or they could never actually get there in terms of trying to communicate the same thing. Yep. That makes perfect sense. And, you know, Derek, you did touch on this too about, um, you know, coming in with maybe 40 to 50% of whatever package um, for an ERP system and then customizing the the rest of it according to your needs and wants. Um, If somebody comes in and creates the code, I guess. I don't know the, the, the t- technological um, terminology of it, but, um, and then AI and automation, um, the code is written for that. Does it stay like that forever? And then it goes into the content of the AI and chat GPT or what have you? Like, is it, if you're bringing in a customization, is it just for that particular organization or does it go into the content of 
AI in general. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a big uh, point in the future, right? Because if these AI models have access to, it's it's sort of like what data you have access to. And that's a big thing these days is it's not who's going to build the best AI because eventually there's so many competitors in the market that the AI itself, the, 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 the tool is going to get commoditized to the point where it's not some unique thing that we're using this company's AI versus the others. And therefore we have a significant advantage. It's unlikely to go that way. It's more likely to go of what data is that AI looking at and, Mm. and who owns that data and how is that data being analyzed in that AI model in order to make that a reality? So it's a great point. You know, that brings up a whole new area property questions, right? Because you take these cloud-based platforms, you deploy code on those platforms. Who can see that code? Can can the can the owner of that platform see that code and use it to recommend other code for other organizations or your competitors? Mm-hmm. That's going to become something that's going to be uh, probably a hot topic in the future. Right. We just had, uh, oh, Sean, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, this is what Julia does every call, man. She like defines the industry. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> well, it just made me think um, of our, we have um, a peer groups um, sort of call with our clients. And uh, one of our clients brought up the question of whether or not one of their um, employees put something into chat GPT or some sort of AI platform and provides maybe not true confidential information, but then where does that information go and who else has access to their company information and their database? And so that's a big concern, right? It's going to freak people out, right? I mean, people are already saying, you know, uh, Instagram or Facebook is listening to me and recommending ads based. I was just talking about that yesterday, you know, and now I'm getting ads for wheelbarrows or something that you were just chatting about yesterday. And whether that's true or not is another story, but the same concept applies to business, right? Like you now have Microsoft Teams listening to every single meeting that you host as a company and taking notes. Imagine that centralized knowledge base and the value of that to not only your company, but the risk of that getting out to other individuals when those are important meetings or, or strategy sessions. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the reality of cloud is... Uh, and I mean, just business in general is about risk and reward and that that fine line, that fine equation. And with cloud, so it, it, we won't pick a specific vendor because I don't want to put anything out there. But so all of the, let's say they got 30,000 customers and all of those customers instances of the ERP run in one data center. Now they might have duplication and uh, business continuity planning and rollover and everything else. Maybe it's two data centers, fine. 15,000 in each, fine. So you have 15,000 instances of the software that are running. And I mean, we've talked about this with vendors for 15 years about, you know, huh, you can do benchmarking data, right? You've got the industry codes for all your customers. Why don't you see what is the uh, day sales outstanding average for all the wholesale distributors for electronics parts? Like they can do that right now. Now, is there benefit to a, you know, a cloud, an ERP cloud provider to do that? Not necessarily, but there was a startup guy that I remember working with again, 10, 15 years ago, 
that that's what his deal was. He's like, oh yeah, we do construction software. But what we really do is we give benchmarking data to all of our customers so they can identify uh, you know, why why are there why is their cost of goods sold so much higher than their competitors? And we yeah. we have their competitors' data. We can tell them. It's it's very risky. And and the the intelligence factor of the AI is big enough now that you could take these cloud-based financial systems and say, you could you could just say, tell me what but what company I should start. What's the most profitable business on our platform? And you can find find that data out. And, and that's very risky for those companies. They have to know that wherever they put their information, that it's secure and it's not going to be sold off even as anonymized data that could impact their industry. That's right. And, and it just goes on and on and on. Tell me which customers are most likely have financial fraud in them. There you go. Auditors, financial statement auditors are going to be using if they're not already. I know they use a lot of methodology and analytics tools to extract data. And then they run, they push a button and then the person gets a report that says, huh, this is off, right? I mean, they, we've had that. Those I learned about those in college, but some of those methods are, but they're now more automated. So, but but the key thing here is that as a society, the beehive society, we've gone into agreement that we're we're now centralizing our processing. We're centralizing our apps. We're centralizing these instances of code. So you may have 20 companies that run on one virtual machine and one actual server could run 20 virtual machines. I don't know what the ratios are, but you could have 80 companies that are all running on one little blade server in a, in a, um, a data center filled with those things, right? And if it's all centralized, that's where the AI bots, the tools, the, the 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 apps themselves, the AI apps can come in and just look at the source. They're only as good as the source and the instructions that are put into them and how to look at the source. But we've centralized all of this data. So even at the Oracle conference this year, you know, they have 40,000 combined customers. Maybe it's even more now between NetSuite and Oracle Cloud Fusion. And they're going into um, agreement with JP Morgan Chase to do more deeper banking integrations, right? So that drives more business for Chase. Oracle gets tighter in with the client who's working with Chase. And they do it because it's all centralized. It's it's simpler to, to do a fix or build a, a, an app or a, a, a piece of code for all these customers, 40,000 of them, <laughs> than just one. It reminds me totally of, um, I think I just heard Snoop Dogg talk at the Milken Institute about how artists are really upset about the streaming services because they don't make any extra money off that. You know, when he would sell more discs or whatever, he'd make a ton more money off that because he should. He's the creator, right? Not anymore. It's kind of the same thing. Derek's team writes a little app, NetSuite or whoever says, oh, I'll take that. Thank you very much. And mm -hmm. then apply throughout all these other customers. It's, 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 it's really, you know, even if you think about just, civilization of man, and I can go off into some very crazy tangent right now, I'll try not to. But if you think about the concept of a city over small township, you know, the city is building more and more and more civilization on top of itself, even Rome, if you look at the layers of Rome, we're doing that with technology by centralizing and using cloud solutions, you know, whether it's AWS or Oracle or, or, or whoever, right? Um, Amazon Web Services, they're, they're, we're, we're in Azure, all of these, you're, you're bringing all of this data together. 
And now we're learning as, as, as a culture, as a, as a society, how to write apps that can leverage all of this information. No different than Tim Berners-Lee was talking about in the early 2000s. The data is all there now. It's all centralized. So then you can write the app that can do miraculous things. But the interesting thing that you mentioned earlier, Derek, that you always have to keep in mind is it's all digital, right? There, I still don't know of a bot that will come and clean the floor. I would love right. that. Right. Take <laughs> the trash out. Right. Take the trash out, right? There's the physical world and then there's the cyber world. Still, there's still a separation there, but maybe there's a bot that can push a button and get the the, the little uh, vacuum cleaner to start because it decided my floor was dirty for me and it just did it while I was gone. Now that could happen and it probably already is. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think what I want our listeners to know is you do need to pay attention to this one. ML, machine learning, um, uh, there was, um, what was the thing called, Derek, with the, uh, like the tags? Um, I can't, I can't, I think we talked about one of the seafood companies we were working with, that there's a a record that that follows um, a product. Oh, follows all the way, like a blockchain style. Blockchain, blockchain, Um, exactly. You know, there's been other technologies that I think were really interesting, and we kept an eye on them. This one is the real deal. This one does fundamentally change how developers are thinking about how they're building apps and how they're leveraging data. And the underlying data sources are available to reference, to actually take a look at what's really out there now for real because of all the work that was put in place. And I do think it's going to be good, but I bet I'm a bet. I always bet on man. I think man is good. There's some stuff I worry about. Don't get me wrong. But I think Mm -hmm. fundamentally we're all trying to drive towards doesn't seem like it sometimes, but we're trying to drive towards constructive survival concepts. And AI is going to be no different than that, right? Until the matrix thing happens and then they're... Yeah, until we trust <laughs> it to make decisions and then, then we will be taking out the trash and cleaning the floor is the that's only thing right. we have to do. So. That's right. And then yeah. it, it overrides our decisions, right? That's right. It'll be telling us, you need to take out my trash. Exactly. Yeah, I know. yeah exactly. But in the in the initial stages, it's really going to be those areas that you find yourself doing and you're wondering, you know, why am I doing this? Or, oh, this is so much work. And I think the big, the big realization that people have had recently with these new AI technologies is that AI can also be generative, right? So it cannot just do low level automation, but it can also start to create things. So you could throw, Hey, give me a financial report and it will do it. And then you say, no, I don't want to see it like that. I want to see it like this and it will do it again. And then you can ask it, why is this number this? And it will give you the details. And that's stuff that would have to go back and forth with an entire team member or a team of team members at big organizations to try to figure out that data in the past. And and the same with whole areas could get changed drastically in terms of like, for example, you were talking about audit of, of systems and, and auditing systems. And you know, having an AI be monitoring your production environment for your financial system to catch things like fraud and to yep. be cognizant of those changes and to be mm-hmm. alerting you, it could get up to a point. I mean, I could see it where external auditors might only come in and be, you have to have a system that their AI can attach to that can right. tell them exactly what's going on instead of a couple of sample transactions that you got to pull up it will go through every transaction and wow. check it and make sure. And if you don't have that also plugged into your system to make sure you're good before the audit, 
you could wind up in a world of hurt. So there could be some major changes coming in those areas that companies need to be need to be ready for. And they need to be make sure they're on the right systems to account for that. Because at a certain point, the old school way of doing things isn't going to work anymore. Um, and it's not going to be allowed anymore if you want to have a business that's being viewed and, and looked at by others. Well, and you you couple that with this the shortage of human capital for recruiting and, right. and talent, right? You you're hiring, we're hiring, you know, these big guys are laying people off, right? But whatever. There's there's still there's a there's a need for many, many, many more people, frankly, in my view. Every client that I'm in, our own organization, we could use more people. Um, so you have that pressure on the auditing firms, right? They're already using the work from home. There's no reason why they can't have employees around the world doing audits, right? We don't need to be domestic or mm-hmm. even in the same continent. But um, one of the um, a prominent um, accounting leader in Denver um, a couple of years ago said, oh, yeah, my, my whole company, we're going to be gone in 10 years. And then he said, so is yours. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh boy. boy. You know, hey, which ERP should I select? Oh, you should select blah because this is your needs and everything else. You didn't have to pay ERP advisors to get that answer, you know? Yeah. Hopefully it wasn't, you know, like SAP who wrote the algorithm, I'm just saying, because they're probably going to say SAP. So I think we have a couple more years, Juliet. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you but, might. But, but just just don't, share your, don't share your data, Sean. Otherwise it will right. say, Sean uh, Wendell says, this is the yeah, best right. ERP to buy. God, did that's I right. Did they get into my mind at night? Where did that come from? Right. No, I, I think uh, it's interesting. And I think we did just get a question too from, yeah. from one, of, um, one of the people in the audience. Oh, sure. Great. Uh, what types of uh, advanced technologies, AI, ML, automated workflow, et cetera, actually do exist in today's ERP systems within what processes do they exist? Do you want to start that, Derek? And I can. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I think to, in today's world, you're going to find that mostly in those core business processes, like we were talking about AP, for example, the kind of upgrade from the old OCR technology to real more AI tools. Should you pay this? Should you not pay this? How many layers of approval should that go through? Those types of things do exist and they are out there. And and the same for some of the customer focused functions as well. And a lot of vendors have gone and built point solutions for this separate to the ERP that have these AI tools built into them. The ERP vendors themselves are lagging a little bit behind in certain instances as they usually do, but there are point solutions that you can buy for those those particular areas for sure. Yeah. And same thing on the human capital management side that a lot of onboarding and even the uh, the, the performance sort of talent management processes as well, being able to pull together some feedback from employees based on here's the projects they worked on or um, those types of things for sure. So it's it's definitely happening. There's no question about it. This isn't hype um, from the ERP vendors. And I do think, um, you know, you look at Microsoft, they're, they're making a big, 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 big play with Copilot. Rebecca from our team has been covering this a lot in our ERP Minute every week on some of the announcements that they have going there. Um, I, you know, I can't not think of the paperclip. I just, every time I think of Copilot, I think of that little Microsoft Office paperclip. Anyway, <laughs> it's more than that. Anyway, um, <laughs> I think there's some exciting things that that they'll be able to do with that for sure. But but it it is real. I don't think it's going to be the first or second criteria on why we select an app. Frankly, not yet. 
um, still feature function fit, usability, implementation partner reliability, you know, technology roadmap, which is usually the third item, we're already looking at that. So it, I think it'll bubble up, but um, yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. I think this gives me a whole new perspective on our cybersecurity calls that we end up doing because now we're going to have to touch on AI and like Derek mentioned, like intellectual property and protective data for certain companies. So I'm thinking already ahead of that, right? Yeah, prepare. We always have to prepare for October. We have a guest from No Before, usually uh, the cybersecurity company, uh, kind of a training of people around that. And yeah, the, the cybersecurity risks are gargantuan. Oh, Just like you said, Derek, right. somebody takes our ERP advisors methodology and this database of all of these mm-hmm. selection decisions and says, oh, I mean, I can tell you, like, if you're a software company, we don't even usually advise software companies anymore. They go to NetSuite, right? Or Intel, and that's it. That's fine, right? There's mm-hmm. other industries that need us, but um, it's the security the, the proprietary nature of, of what we do, the more we digitize that, mm-hmm. the more it's at risk. But there's also benefits. That's so right. it's tricky. It's very tricky. Yep. Excite, <laughs> like I said, exciting and scary all at the same time, for Cautiously sure. Cautiously optimistic. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, I think we're coming to the end of our time. So, Derek, um, will you come back? Because I think we could continue this conversation (laughs) um, for um, a long time to come for sure. So happy to have you as a guest. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. Thank you, Sean. You bet. Yes. So, and thank you um, everyone for joining us for our webinar today. Please let us know if you have any questions. We're happy to help in any way we can. And be sure to join us on Thursday, June 22nd for our next webinar, Unlock the Power of E-Commerce to Enhance Your ERP, when we will discuss the art of transforming your business with a well-crafted e-commerce solution. Please go to our website, erpadvisorsgroup.com for more details and to register. ERP Advisors Group is one of the country's top independent enterprise software advisory firms. ERP Advisors Group advises mid to large size businesses on selecting and implementing business applications from enterprise resource planning, customer relationship management, human capital management, business intelligence, and other enterprise applications, which equates to millions of dollars in software deals each year across many industries. This has been the ERP Advisor. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.